Welcome to Vino Week, episode 56. All right, welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. We're back for another episode of uh, Wine. Lots going on, Bill. All, always, always good things on. happening in the world of wine. Yeah. Well, uh, we've had, um, you know, let's uh, tell everybody about our uh, fantastic weather that we've had. We, for the month of February, uh, we've decided to skip winter and just uh, move right into spring. Yeah, definitely California so, winter. I mean, it's been chilly in the mornings. I mean, it's been in the 30s. Chill. Yeah, we've missed out on the rain part. I guess that's what I'm insinuating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, our our winter here is typically, you know, out of a seven-day week, three to four days worth of constant rain. And, you know, temperatures in the high 50s in the day and the low 40s. Yeah. And, and now yeah. it's low 30s at night and 72 and sunny every, you know, 72. I think it was 80 last week. Yeah, I was in Napa Valley a couple of days last week. It was in the 80s, man. I had my AC cranking. I was like, what? crazy. Crazy. I mean, and we need rain. I mean, it's this is, it, you know, we get rain like during the winter months, traditional winter months here in Cal, in Northern California. And if we don't, it's, you know, if we start drawing on reserves and we're back in drought, it's bad for, it's bad for everybody. Yeah, it's it's called water wars. And that's uh, that's yeah. what's going to happen because that we really need that rain. We depend on it just to you know build up the reserves in the ground, obviously. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, when it's dry like this and it's warm, the plants, specifically grape plants, they're just like, hey man, I guess it's time to start growing. So they bud out early, which is no big deal. But you know, we have frost concerns in this area up until uh, April. April. I was just saying, April. April. So it's uh, it's that sleepless nights for farmers thing, you know. If we get uh, we get some cold calls, because I've seen some vineyards here in Russian River Valley that are I can't believe. Not only have they budded, but they're I mean there's there's really good growth. They're, you know, there's six eight inches of growth. They're growing, man. So it'll be tough. It'll be uh, some nail biting uh, for some farmers if if the weather changes, because um, we've got a good month and a half where you got to kind of worry about the frost yeah and 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 i mean the other thing that's interesting is it could all turn around i mean it literally it could. could i mean it could, it could start, start raining it could start raining again and, which, and be, you know which would be great yeah not so good for great farmers but great for everything else right hey uh uh, can I talk about a wine that I? Uh, I was going to ask you. Yep, what you've been drinking. So, I, well, maybe we'll talk about. We had some pretty fantastic wines when we went to a tasting at the Winter Slow Wine Tasting Event. Oh man, boy, recently, did we ever! Um, which was pretty amazing. Unfortunately, as we probably talked about before, almost all of the wines that we have there um, are are difficult or near impossible to find in the United States. Just yeah, that's a minus. You know, a lot of them are looking for importers, um, and a lot of them are really small producers. You know, they make really good wines, but they don't make much of it. So, you know, the distribution side of it is is uh, is pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing, though, and I'm, I'm uh, we will have to talk about how we um, we cover this is that slow wine introduced American 
wineries into their program. And so there were uh, American wineries, uh, primarily Oregon and California wineries, represented at the show this year, which was really interesting. And for those people who like the type of information that we provide here, we highly recommend you check out the Slow Wine publication that's available. Um, uh, they do a great job. Um, well, certainly if you're going to go to Italy, it's a it's a no-brainer to have their, their book. Um, but as far as California goes, it's a really great, I don't know, I, it's sort of all, it's very, um, the closest thing I can compare it to is sort of a Zagat, a Zagat guide for wine and or a Michelin guide for wine. And what I mean <laughs> is, is the, the, you know, the layout, everything from the layout to sort of what they write about is packaged for people who like this sort of, con- this concept of, of slow wine. Um, and that's the type of wine that we really like to promote and talk about on our show. At least I think we do. Um, well, there's 366 Italian wineries that they reviewed. So um, you probably find one or two that you like. And surprisingly enough, there was 176 California wineries yeah. that were reviewed. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of good wineries in there. Yeah. And uh, they obviously they just put Oregon on. There's 69 Oregon wineries that were reviewed also. What's cool about the book, I didn't notice this at first, but if you visit these wineries, um, old school, drive up and actually physically walk into their tasting facilities, if you present this book, you get a discount on your purchases, which is pretty cool. That's super cool. Super cool. So what you drinking? I'm drinking um, Serlapo. Huh. We got a label. Is that... Is that something or what? That's a very yeah. So the label is uh, um, like a very looks like a very high end piece of of white paper wrapped around the bottle with a wax seal on one end, and it looks like somebody sort of written handwritten a description in longhand writing. So yeah, this is it's, um, it's a pretty looking package. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a nice package. Uh, it's very unique. I mean, you walk into a wine store, you're going to see that. You're going to be like, oh boy, that's pretty interesting. Um, it's a this is a 2016 uh, Chianti Classico Reserva. It's uh, made by the Maze family. M A Z Z E I, Maze. Um, and the Mazes have been making wine since 1435. Um, the name of the winery what, is Castello what, di Fontaretoli. How old was that? Did you say 13? Uh, oh, it's a 2016. No, 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 no. The I'm sorry. How long has the winery been in business? Oh, since uh, 1435. All right, 15th century. Great. Yeah, so they've, they've been around for a while. Before America was a country. <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes from Etienne Hugel. We make it wine. Um, yeah, that seal that you uh, denoted. It's about the looks like it's about the size of what like a, a half dollar, and it's got the family crest and yeah, the very knee. much yeah, like sort of old, you know, old century sort of sealing your envelopes with your wax seal. Yeah, and this and this writing up here, this has got to be from you know, obviously it's got to be from from that time, but you know, nobody's reading that. But uh, that's the package. It's a really interesting packet pa- package. Um, Sir Lapo um, is—he um, was the author of the first known document to use uh, Chianti as a denomination back in 1398. So, this wine uh, hails from um, 
uh, Castello, uh, Castellina. Castellina, you'll see that. There's a bunch of information on this label. It's really interesting. But the, the province and the area of Castellino is about 10 miles northwest of uh, Siena. So it's, uh, it's right in that Chianti Classico zone, right in the middle. So 26 generations of people, um, the Mazi family, have been making um, and keeping this uh, wine tradition alive to date. The company's run by Lapo Mazi, and he's the chairman, and his two sons, uh, Filippo and Francesco. Um, they own properties, and um, they also own properties in Maremma, which is to the south, um, the southern part of Tuscany. Uh, properties in Sicily and in uh, Veneto. So they're, they've expanded their reach beyond their original um, Castello. The grapes are from uh, vineyards that are 15 to 30 years old. Soils are composed primarily of um, clay, loam, and uh, uh, calcareous uh, rock and sandstone. And the vineyards are an altitude of uh, 800 to uh, I think 1,000 feet. A thousand feet, so pretty high up. This wine's ninety percent Sangiovese, ten percent Merlot. Um, it's fermented in stainless steel tanks, and after that, they put it in small French oak barriques. Um, it's I I couldn't really taste the Merlot in there, but ninety ten is a nice blend. Um, That's a bold the, statement too, because usually <laughs> I don't. For me, when Merlot is in wine, it's like there's Merlot in there. And yeah. I have nothing against a Merlot grape, nothing at all. But it's a yeah. very, it, it, to me, to my palate, it's very distinct in its uh, flavor. It's strong. I think so. It's like Cabernet. You can tell when Cabernet is in. Yeah. Uh, Saint, yeah. You add it to yeah. Sangiovese, it's pretty easy to pick up. Um, this is aged for a year. They age it for a year. 50% um, of the barrels are new. Um, it spends five months in the bottle, uh, just hanging out in the cellar before they release it. And the important thing here is the winemaker is Carlo Farini. Now, I'm, I've mentioned him before. Mm. I mean, the guy just like, he's like the wine wizard and goes around and he makes wine at some of the best properties in Italy. So um, it's got it's got that going for it. Um, this is Renaissance writing, I think, is at that top of the bottle. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, what's in the glass? It's It's bright. Um, clear ruby color when you pour it, uh, aromas of uh, cranberry and red cherries, um, violets and thyme is what I got on it. You know, obviously your nose is different, so you'll get different things. Uh, it has that classic, uh, when you taste it, it's got that classic Sangiovese acidic bite at first. And it kind of shocks you a little bit when you first try it. Uh, it's that typical sour red cherry flavor. Um, it's got hints of cedar earth and a little bit of orange peel that's at least that's what i got out of it uh, it's medium body moderate tannins and has a really good length uh, on the finish uh i guess the phrase for this wine is it's lip smacking good um it, it throws a little bit of a sediment so uh, you should decant it and just decant it for 30 to 45 minutes and um it'll show its best at that point it's thirteen and a half percent alcohol, and it's twenty-seven to thirty bucks retail. Mm. That's what we got. I got that, and then I have another bottle that I'll expand on later. 
you've had this before. This is the 2015 Domaine de la Jeunesse Reserve Cote de Rhone. Now, I discovered this. I've had Jeunesse wines forever. They make uh, Cote de Rhone's and they make uh, higher end uh, Chateau Nuc de Pops and can you, can you everything in between. Sorry, can you move the bottle? Oh, just. Yep, okay. Yeah, so uh, this family, this is a family that's been around. They started making wine back in, uh, I think, back in like 1976, you know, sometime in the 70s. And um, the old guy started it. Um, his name was um, uh, Ame Sabon. And now his kids run it. Um, Christophe and um, Isabella run it. Um, I won't go into the details, but it's um, it's 55% Grenache, 25% Syrah, 10% Carignan. 5% Senso and 5% Mouvedra. And I can't believe this This wine is, I mean, it's, I discovered it because um, I bought some wine for a friend. He said, hey, why don't you pick up a case and a half of wine for me? So I went to KNL Wines and I kind of went around and picked out some stuff. And I picked out a bottle of this for him. I picked out a, several bottles for myself. So I ended up, you were with me. We yeah. ended up walking out of there with like a case and a half of wine or or just slightly less than two cases. Yeah, we had a couple cases of wine. There were definitely and boxes. The, and the, the Uber driver was like, yeah, you got to put that in the trunk. You can't put yeah. that in my car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we traded. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> but anyway. It was sort of shocking. Oh, what wine? What's in there? And it was good. <laughs> two guys standing outside of a store calling yep. an Uber driver with wine. So, um, but anyway, um, I'll, I'll uh, put more notes together for this because I'm, not really prepared to give you all the details, but a really fantastic bottle. Not your typical Cote de Rhone, but the pricing is shocking. It was $15, and um, I mean, it drinks like a, a really nice Gigandas. So, really good bottle. And that's what I got. Gotcha. On to the wine news. Let's talk about wine news for sure. We've got a lot of stuff here, Bill. Um, uh, here in Sonoma County, keeping it local, uh, Gunlag Bunshu, say that three times fast. Yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever pronounced that correctly. <laughs> they have, uh, it's, it's spelled B-U-N-D-S-C-H-U, and it's Bunshu. Um, they have acquired uh, Valley of the Moon Winery. And uh, Valley of the Moon, it's a pretty big property. It's a 60-acre property. Um, so uh, they're going to make, uh, they needed some extra capacity. So uh, they're going to be making more wine there. They're going to also, um, they've got a wine called Abbott's Passage. Uh, so they're going to be uh, putting some uh, different labels uh, in the mix and using this property. And it's right in the middle of Sonoma Valley. That's, uh, I think, on the last podcast we were talking about um, how there's a, a fair number of grapes that are just still hanging on the, just, on the vines from right. last last vintage, it's right in that zone. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful spot. It's a good spot, and it's yeah. good to see the winery being purchased by a local company versus some big, huge conglomerate, which is typically what we're talking about. You know, so it's it's uh, keeping it local is is pretty cool. I like that. I like that part. Uh. Yeah, the article I read, um, I don't know, uh, well, you know, Bunchu basically said that they're looking to grow strategically, so 
you know, there's, you know, thinking about it, you know, not in terms of, you know, scaling growth for growth sake, but probably more, you know, thinking about adding to their, either adding to their portfolio or adding to their capacity in a way that sort of fits their existing characteristics of their winery. So, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I'll tell you one thing that they've acquired as, you know, I drove by this winery a couple of days ago. They've acquired, they've acquired one of the, one of those high-end, I mean, a really old vine uh, Zinfandel vineyard that was planted back in 1940. Where was that? Where's um, that at? It's right, it's right on that. There's a traffic light that cuts across to go to that winery on the right, right yeah. off of Highway 12. Yeah. If you look to the right before you get to that traffic light, that's an old vine. That's a, beautiful old vine um, Zinfandel that's there. I mean, really old. (laughs) And and folks, you know, you see the old vines because they look like um, they're most often not trained. I've never seen them trained, so they're not on trellises. They're just kind of, they look like stunted trees a lot to me. It's just this plant growing out of the ground. Like, what is that? The first time I saw one, I was like, what is that thing? I'm like, oh, that's a grapevine. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty gnarly. Yeah, pretty gnarly yeah. looking. <laughs> That's a great descriptor, gnarly, gnarly vines. Uh, so, but so they should be getting some great uh, grapes from that property, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some really some more good Zinfandels because Bunshu uh, actually uh, makes some really good Zinfandels already. Yep. So they're just adding adding to the portfolio, which is good. So, um, hey, the next article I got um, up here is from uh, Tim McCurdy, and it's about how to buy aged wines. Oh, I don't know if any, anybody ever does this, um, but, you know, a lot of us, we don't have the patience, but we have the taste and the palate for old wines. So, I mean, the best way to drink old wines is to buy them young and hang on to them. But, uh, gee, that requires time. So this article is about... What's the best way to um, get? And it's from um, the writers Tim McCurdy. Uh, he's with Fine Pair. I'm going to skip down all the way to the very end of the article. And what he says at the very end is just like selling bottles, buying aged wine is accompanied by inherent risk. If you don't want to get burned, only take a risk. So in a nutshell, he says really after all of this, this he says it'll guarantee that you're gonna get you know what you're looking for when you buy old wines. It's a risk. I mean it's definitely a risk because there's so many variables. You don't know who stored the wine, you don't know how the wine's been handled. I mean you know, you're trying to buy some Riesling that's 25, 30 years old. That wine's been around. It's gone from warehouse to warehouse. It's gone, yeah, you, it's gone a lot of places. That's for sure. So, I mean, you really want to be careful. You know, you want to check, make sure that the cork looks good, uh, the condition of the label is an indicator of how the wine's been handled, um, the fill level or the oolage. What is, you know, does it does it look like the fill is abnormally low? Yeah, if it's um, down to the label and the label's half the bottle, that's probably an indication it's not so good. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 you're you're asking just, for trouble. Just saying. So, so in general, I don't, I never, I don't know about you, I don't buy. If I'm going to buy older wines, really, the I buy older, sturdy 
you know, really wines that are meant to age for a long time, I would definitely consider buying some older ports. I was looking for a, a specific year. I would do that. Or I would buy... Um, I'll buy a wine and hold it, make it old myself. Yes. <laughs> well, I do that now. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being snarky, but that's sort of... A, you know, aside from the, the way that the wine is packaged or the cork, the, the, the capsule or the enclosure is good, that's sort of the safest way, really, assuming you've got a decent place to put it. And, and, uh, and usually if you're buying an older wine, you're buying a wine that has a certain amount of prestige. So then we have the problem of the provenance of the wine. You know, just say you're buying some older Bordeaux, not to pick on Bordeaux, but say you're buying some older ball of Bordeaux from, you know, the 1970s or something. I mean, these days, man, let's face it, there's a lot of fake wine out there. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you really know? that that yeah i mean you you don't know yeah well yeah i mean i think a lot of this at least in my mind comes back to the re, uh, the retailer or the person you're going to get the wine from you know if you have yes. a what reputable retailer you know that that knows wines or knows the style of wines you're going to buy you know more often than not i mean aside from something's technically wrong with the packaging you're probably going to be okay or the production of the wine so you know, the wine, you know, the cork went bad, you bought an old wine, you open it, cork's bad, not a lot you can do about that. Or you bought a wine that was just bad to begin with. Like the whole lot of the wine is bad. Well, if you buy from a reputable retailer and the wine is bogus, you, you, or you think it's bogus, you know, at least you have a little leeway you could go back to right. them and you could, you could work something out. Versus if you're, you know, just buying it at an auction or something i mean these auctions some of these auctions are extremely suspicious yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know trying to be kind yeah that's like going to any other auction you know the the jewelry auction rolls through town every year (laughs) you know or the art auction you know here's your uh moreau print for you know your signed moreau print for a hundred dollars that's probably not real yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, caveat emptor, as they say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he's also got the, I, I did notice he's got, you know, wines to watch out for, you know, a lot of tips and tricks in this. And then, you know, a discussion on what to pay, which I think, yeah. which I think is really like worthwhile. Yeah, I think he mentions, um, he actually mentions a auction house that, that specializes in fine, and rare wines that actually has been in a little bit of hot water with some of the wines that they presented for auction. So there's, there's that. Yeah. There's that. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to something that's a little bit kind of, um, it's, uh, it's kind of industrial, maybe a little bit boring, but, uh, California clean air regulators are uh, looking to examine wine emissions. You, you remember that article? Did you get a chance to see that one, Bill? I did. What they're concerned about is um, this article comes from the Napa Valley Registry, a register, excuse me. It's, um, it's actually written by Sarah Clearman. Uh, they're examining and looking more closely at some of these larger wineries. They're looking at the volatile organic compounds <laughs> that are being released by these wineries. Right. And uh, VOCs are, um, you know, VOCs are released um, during fermentation time, 
It's right. you, you have all these, uh, you know, you got you got three products of fermentation. You got alcohol, uh, you have heat, and and you have, uh, I guess, the other byproduct would be the wine that you that you get out of it. Right. So this alcohol, as it blows off of the tank and goes into the environment, it has, it has these compounds that combine with um, uh, the nitrous, uh, the nitrogen oxides that are um, being put out of the tailpipe of the cars that we drive around, and then put those two things together, and what do you get? You get smog. So uh, this is not good news for large wineries because I'm sure if uh, the regulators are looking at ways to um, um, control their emissions, there's going to be some cost as a result of this when you get regulators involved. Your thoughts, Bill? Well, let's start off and talk about what VOC. Let's talk a little bit more about VOC. So if you want to know what a, VO, a regulated VOC is, that probably everyone here will know. Um, DDT. DDT has a lot. If you remember DDT, the mosquito-killing yep. pesticide. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that has a lot of VOCs. And so um, and pretty much a lot of your solvents... Um, that you see floor coatings oils i'll give this stuff up off so then when you have a big factory we've talked about the factories that are in the central valley that make wine that are you know these massive factories i'm sure they probably throw off a lot of these components but um and and it's good that we have you know we're paying attention to this i i do wonder what the overall you know what the overall impact like how much these wineries are contributing or these factories are contributing to the overall smog um you know maybe they're it's huge but i don't you know i don't know um also say a lot of the you know the same the same set of folks that are trying to regulate vocs here are also the same folks that are telling the dairy industry they have to cut back on cow cow natural gas from from cow emissions mm-hmm. so and i'm not talking about cows um um, defecating and then that runoff going into a creek. I'm literally talking about cows out, um, just being cows giving off gas as they, they munch on grass. So, um, you know, I think some of this stuff can go over, um, um, you know, overboard. It is a, it, it seems like a big number. So they say for every million gallons of wine, 15 to 20 tons of VOCs are released. Um, but that says it's estimated. So I, you know, I, I don't know. The net net, what this means to all of us as consumers is it more regulate, potential more regulation just means our cost for our wine is going to go up. Yeah. And it also means um, in the in the short run that if somebody were looking to put in a, we're really talking about like mega large wineries. Yeah. If someone were looking to build a big winery that would bring jobs to a certain area, you know, it might not happen. It may or it may happen and it may not happen as a result of, you know, these these extra regulations. Yeah. And I think there's some validity in the you know, one of the things that I've noticed in some industries is that in 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 industries where you have to use certain chemicals that potentially give off things that could be harmful in concentration like a VOC. Um, regulation will encourage people to retrofit or or build with existing you know with existing plants or factories so instead of building something completely new and adding yet another large you know 
um, amount of, in this case, VOCs. I'm going to take an existing plant I'm gonna, or one that's possibly defunct and rebuild it with more modern equipment that has less emissions. So that's not, you know, if that is the effect of the regulations, that's not a bad thing. Um, I, I see this all the time in painting, when you've got to pay, like painting, um, painting cars or anything like that a lot easier to buy an existing facility that has, you know, paint, you know, paint infrastructure rather than buy a completely new one. So, you know, if it helps sort of in that vein, I think that's good. Wow. I don't know that it will, but, um, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see what they do. It also, you know, it also, you know, laws getting written all the time that are like not good. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think they're just it's something that they're looking at and it's going to affect such a small, such a small number of producers, just really the big guys. Um, so and a lot of the big wineries are they're not in our area. I think they said there was one winery in Napa that fitted the, the target of their uh, criteria. Yeah, so, it's got to um, be they got to be huge, huge factories. Yeah, it's got to be, type, it's gotta be a quantity. really big place. Yeah, yeah. So, and we probably have one like that. Actually, we probably have a couple like that here in Sonoma. Yeah, uh, they probably fit that. But uh, by and large, most everybody's pretty small potatoes. Right, and there, there's probably some simple things they can do to just start to cut. You know, filtration systems on, you know, trying to contain the emission and then do filtration, which they probably don't do any of right now, could solve the problem. I don't know. Well, there is, yeah. At the end of the article, they mentioned that they have devices that they could put on that could control okay. that. But, you know, the, the thing that's interesting is we're only talking about a three-month period. We're talking about from August to, you know, the end of October, the harvest. Yeah. So it's not it's not like a long period of time. Yeah, it's not, like, it's not like automobiles that are rolling around doing this all the time. Yeah. Well, Bill, uh, we got to get to our crime portion of the show. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm sure we're going to talk about VJ, who's uh, who's about to be extradited. And and uh, so VJ Malia, the, the, I, I like how they called him in the video. They called him the, a liquor, the liquor baron from India. Um, and what we see, they also had another name for for them in India it was an economic uh, uh, an economic fugitive. Yes, I think that's what they called him. But he's the guy that ran Kingfisher, if everyone remembers. So Kingfisher Beer, Kingfisher Airline, just Kingfisher Industries in India. He took out a bunch of loans from the banks and, and you know, just abscammed the money and then fled to England. So they're now wanting to bring him back so he can... I guess they're going to put him in jail and that's just going to make everybody happy. Does nothing to alleviate the amount of money that he... I, I don't even know if they know where the money is. No, but you know the recent photos I've seen of him, he's beginning to look more and more bloated. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Let's check his diet. That's just yeah, that's just living an English diet, that's all. My gosh. Yeah. I mean beer and french fries are vegan, right? Yeah. yeah. Well he's appealing this though. He's he's, he's it's oh, not a done deal yet. He's appealing he this extradition. Of course he is. <laughs> you would too. <laughs> What, and so what I found plays out. We're not, you know. Actually, I wasn't going to talk about that, but you know, 
Oh, I love well, that guy. Yeah, well, so here's the thing that I really liked about it. It the 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 video came down to um the conditions of the jail. So this is how this is how it's different for people who have a lot of cash. Yes. And people that don't. If I nobody is going to none of my lawyers if I'm ever in trouble are going to talk to anybody about the conditions of the jail I'm going to end up in. Never. Probably not. Yeah, they will for VJ. As long as he can ride his Harley. Well, okay. you know, not to get off topic, but, you know, money talks, man. And uh, who's the, the Hollywood producer guy? You know, once the once the, the jury came out with the verdict, Weinstein, yeah. oh, oh, oh yeah. my heart. Well, he was sick going in, right? I mean, he was in the walker, and the people are accusing him of it was fake. and um, It's classic, man. So he's, in the, he's still in the hospital, man. He's just kind of... And he's hired a um, a prison consultant. I not really sure what that is, but I guess it's somebody to help him with the the transition from civil life to to prison life. I what was the culture? I, I don't know. I, prison I, consultant, Bill. I don't know. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so Moving first along. of all, it's New York City. So let's just start there. So I'm not surprised you can find somebody that's a prison consultant. <laughs> Second of all, I think I'd have a heart attack if I found out I was going to go do hard time in Rikers. <laughs> true. I would suddenly have all kinds of ailments. I, you know, yeah. I mean, and yeah, I don't know what this guy, he's going, he, they put the nail in his coffin. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's gonna, he's gonna take, He's going to spend some time. Well, he's not. He hasn't been sentenced yet. So, no. And, uh, you know, unlike uh, you and I, you know, once the jury says, uh, comes out and uh, issues uh, uh, a few counts where they say uh, some, some verdicts of guilty on a few counts, you know, we'd be wearing those silver cufflinks at that, at that point, but not him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he will be at home with an ankle bracelet on and pay a lot of money. That's my guess. Yeah. So, Gosh, although there are a lot of people that want to see him in jail. So there are, yeah, there he's are a uh, of, he's he's not a beloved figure at, at this point in know, time, and he, and he was never. I mean, his reputation in the business was very cutthroat. Like he was a very, you know, not a, um, you know, not a, uh, not necessarily like the most awesome person to do. If the, you crossed him, he would try to ruin you. Yeah, he'll never work in this town again. But you know, somebody <laughs> coined that phrase before Harvey got there. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of the business. Pretty um, crazy. Hey, well, it's a limelight. The light's bright, and you get too close, you get burned. So it's true. You know, true. that's that business. Hey, uh, we got uh, we got some uh, wine thieves uh, getting into uh, <laughs> sticking sticking with the 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 theme of bad guys. <laughs> you got some guys breaking into a restaurant in um, Copenhagen, and. Uh, Upscounding with a bunch of wine. What's really interesting is they broke into the neighboring wine merchant first. There's a wine store, so they break into this wine store, and then they break into they break through a wall into the uh, into the restaurant through the wine cellar. They don't take anything from the wine merchant. <laughs> They're only interested in what's in the wine cellar, the restaurant, and they they um, they take off with. Um, all these super high-end Burgundy wines, uh, Domaine de la Romanée Conti, 
um, Romani Conti Grand Cru, Romani Saint Vivant, Richburg, Latash. These are all like, you know, thousand dollar bottles of wine in the restaurant. And this restaurant tour has collected these wines over the years. So these are the type of wines when the heavy rollers and the big whales come in. Yeah, we'll have the Latash and they spend three thousand, four thousand dollars for, you know, a bottle of wine to go with their dinner. Right. These guys knew exactly guys or gals. They knew exactly what they wanted and exactly how to get in there. And if you look at the photo, I mean, they make they make this huge hole. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 the greatest cape forever, man. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing for me. I, I, it was only two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of work for two hundred k. Yeah, man. To break through that wall, they must have uh... I, just come on to planning. I mean, how many people? Four <laughs> okay. people. Let's just say it's four people. That's not a lot. Of, that's not worth it. Maybe they're, yeah, it's, uh, maybe well, there wasn't that many bottles. It was only fifty to sixty bottles. So you know, figure maybe, it out the average retail price is about twenty thousand dollars for each bottle. I mean, this smacks of like wealthy people stealing, you know, stealing stuff just because. It's like I really wanted that, you know, I really wanted that one bottle. But while you're yeah. in there, get the rest of them. Yeah, yeah I, I have no to... idea if that's true, but I'm looking at this thing and it's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, why didn't they empty the cellar? Well, I mean, I think it's easier to take out uh, five or six cases than it would be to just... I yeah, mean, but you're already there. You have yeah. hours, hours at nighttime. I don't know. It's just, it's like, that's like trying to, I you know, you break into the treasury for that kind of, you know, thing. Yeah. Night. Well, they... You know, it was a it was a, a nighttime job, and usually these things are always obviously they're always done at night, you know, under the cover of darkness. But uh, yeah, that's our uh, our latest uh, bad guys doing bad things. Those wines will be hard. I mean, I mean who are you gonna yeah? Who are you gonna sell them to? That's the whole, you know, that's the whole. You have to sell those wines to like a private collector type of thing. Yeah. It's like those wines will be hard to fence. It's so, a, like a you know again it's like it's almost it almost was a, like a commission crime like I need this one bottle for my collection kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very very odd. Well, you remember when this happened to the French Laundry, <laughs> and it was about three hundred thousand dollars worth of wine. Yep. That wine actually was eventually was. They found it. They found it because the guys the thieves weren't very smart and they were having a hard time fencing the wine. Yeah. There's, you, I, like you'd almost, yeah, you have to know who to sell this stuff to. Yeah. So you just can't go in there and get it and then not, I think I'll, you have to have a market before you make do the caper. Well, Is that what you're, you're saying? Yeah. Unless you're not that smart. A lot of the guys at the French Laundry. That was just convenience at the French Laundry. Didn't they just walk in and take the wine there? Yeah, they just busted through the door. They yeah. knew that the restaurant was closed. Yeah. It was just for like. cleaning or something. And, uh, you know, it was, yeah, it was, a, that was, I think that was a crime of convenience. Well, though we can't, I, I guess we can't. Uh, yeah, we have to talk about um, the, the elephant in the room. Yeah. I well, mean, we I, have to talk about the declining sales of Corona beer. Oh, jeez. You know when I when I saw that article, Bill. You know, and we're all going to be voting on Tuesday. I just thought to myself, oh, I know I want everyone to vote, and I mean, but jeez, are you serious? You're not drinking a beer. Because 
Yeah. It's, it's associated with that. I'm, I'm speechless. I can start making some really snarky comments about, you know, viruses exist for a reason. They do call the population. <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not trying to correlate events. I'm just saying these things happen. But yeah, I, I, I will, you know, this, the, the coronavirus is a thing. The spread of it is pretty is scary to a lot of people. It is less. Um, its morbidity rate is is less than the flu. Um, it, it I believe it has a higher um, infection rate than the flu. But it seems like things have gone a little bit overboard. Um, but on this, its face, it does seem that way. Yeah. Yeah, but this kind of thing is just like just what I read this stuff and I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Well, here's here's what I've noticed over the past. Maybe week. just the beer's bad. It's bad beer. People don't well, maybe, like it anymore. Maybe you've noticed this. I don't. Know. One of the things that I've noticed that over the last week is now when this virus is referred to, it's referred to now as COVID nineteen. Yeah. It hasn't. It's in the beginning. It was called the coronavirus, but now it's it's being called COVID nineteen. So that's curious in itself. So if 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 people stop referring to it as the coronavirus, maybe that'll help uh, Corona beer sales. It's going to help Constellation. All right. But, uh, you know, they have slashed their expectations um, and uh, curtailed, uh, actually changed their, their financial outlook for their sales in China due to the outbreak of this virus. Yeah. I mean, which it makes is, sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, commerce is has ground to a halt for uh, restaurants, uh, for all types of businesses, and the docks are closed. So yeah. nothing's going out and nothing's coming in. And if you don't think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, so we're going to see this probably in the next two to three weeks. We'll see material effect. I mean, there are, you know, if you're a manufacturer, um, you're not getting components. Because a lot of that stuff came from China, um, you know, and it's it's just not it's not here, you know that the the spring clothing, you know that stuff should either you know should be on the dock right now or on the way. That <clears throat> stuff's all probably not coming. No, it's not. And you know, we talked earlier before this podcast started. We we're talking about in my line of business, we have this new product that we're rolling out. Well, that product is manufactured in China. Yeah, so we're not, all asked to go out and sell it. We're going to be selling things that in 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 the short term delivery you know, date twenty twenty one. I'm just saying planned. Um, you know, hopefully this thing sort of um, happens quickly and burns out quickly, which they often do. Um, a bunch of people try to get, um, you know. A bunch of people get sick, and then you know it just burns out fast. Yeah, I also don't think the me you know the media seems to be just hyping this thing, and I, you know, everybody's freaked out by it. So the you know they're paying attention to it. It's selling a lot of advertising. So that's a that's a reinforcement loop for media companies now. Um, oh, look, the number of clicks and the number of people reading our site are astronomically higher on a coronavirus article than it is on anything else. So yes. attach everything you do. You know, Donald Trump sneezed in the White House today. Coronavirus. 
Um, president has coronavirus. The yeah. president has, well, we saw the Pope last week. The Pope was like, you know, touching people, and now he has, you know, now he's coughing and sneezing. I, hey. I, will, I, I will tell you, as a completely anecdotal observation, means nothing, but it's worth sort of talking about. I ride public transportation to work probably three to four days a week. There are a lot of people hacking. There are people coughing and blowing their... And it is sort of, you know, it's supposed to be winter cold flu season, but I, it's just been... And again, maybe it's because I'm paying more attention because I'm hearing more about the coronavirus and this is completely normal. Or actually there are a lot of people sick. I would not be shocked if a lot of us already have coronavirus. We don't even know it. Yeah, it's a well, respiratory virus. I've been hacking. I've been hacking for two weeks, a week. So is my all my my entire family. Well, my wife has been. Um, she's been under weather for probably a month and a half. Yeah, you and know, my mom had she's pneumonia. Never really rebounded. She's just kind of. She's probably like at ninety percent. I'd say. Yeah, she's but probably she has to go to work. So, the whole wash your hands. Yeah. Don't go to work. I mean, nobody has a month's worth of sick pay. <laughs> just don't exactly. you got it at some point you have to go to work right yeah well i you know shame on those companies who don't uh allow folks to work from home and haven't figured that out i mean there are things you have to do face to face but a lot of us work in places where we can do most of what we need to do um you know at home or online and yeah That's it's true. A, a simple rule of thumb if you have a fever do not go outside yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah, stay yeah. home and wash your hands. And I don't mean run your hands under the water. <laughs> Scrub them. Bill, I, I got to circle back to this survey, man, this corona survey. Yeah. It's just, it's mind-boggling. So in this article, it says, the survey reveals 38% of beer-drinking Americans would not buy corona under any circumstances now. You know, because of the outbreak. Not because <laughs> they don't like corona beer. You got to add that qualifier, and then the other four, and then another fourteen percent said the same. It would not order because it was out because of coronavirus. It's just. I think they should just change the name to virus beer and see what happens. Seriously, see so, virus beer. So see what happens? It, this article says sixty percent of beer drinking Americans. Now we're talking about Americans here. Yeah. We're confused about whether Corona beer is related to the coronavirus. I mean. It has coronavirus in it? Like, what? <laughs> what? Are you really correlating those two things? Wow. Are these people voting? Yeah, they're voting. <laughs> Even worse, they were educated by the American education system. Think about that. It's, uh, Bravo. It's, it's not good. No. Hey, this, uh, the coronavirus, or excuse me, the COVID-19, as it's being referred to now, has just... Um, uh, just today, actually, um, a statement was released by uh, Messe Dusseldorf that they're postponing the pro wine um, um, wine show. I mean, that's the largest wine industry trade show in the world. And uh, they're calling it off, man. So, uh, you know, whether we we all have it and we don't know or whether it's serious or whether it's not serious, it's serious enough for the German government to call it off yeah well and, uh, they're postponing it you know the um the largest um 
telecommunications show got canceled this year. So that's a massive show. Mobile World Congress. Yep. Done. That's usually in somewhere in Europe. Um, Microsoft dropped out of the Game Developers Conference, which is like, you know, then, then they canceled it. Um, you know, um, many, most companies are like, you know, you're only going to, to uh, you're, you're only going to travel internationally unless it's a, like, you must travel internationally. So, and this stuff's public out there. Google, um, Microsoft, Netflix, um, you know, companies of their ilk are like no travel, you know, reducing travel. So we'll see yeah, what happens. Got, yeah, I just got a note from uh, my son that uh, the company that he works for, he works in Silicon Valley. They've uh, they've banned travel to, to Italy and Germany. They're like, nah, you're not, you're not going there. <laughs> so... And, it, and, and again, I think the reaction is just crazy. I mean, if you look who's getting sick, it's people who have either, you know, they tend to be very old or very young and, or they have some type of compromised, already have a compromised immune system. And then folks, you know, you don't die from the virus, right? You get an infection and then you typically get, it's an upper respiratory, it's a respiratory infection and then you get pneumonia and then yep. that's typically what happens. So, or some other complication from, um, from you know, the virus compromising you. And if you look at, you know, if you look at the countries that are reporting a lot of, um, um, you know, they haven't been very forthcoming. One of the problems is we, we, we're not, first of all, there clearly was a cover-up to some degree or a, a limiting of the information coming out of China. No yes. advance or buts about it. Um, and in fact, I believe the Chinese government last couple of days said, yeah, we, you know, we should have been, we should have let, you know, talk more about this. I can't remember exactly what their statement is. But, you know, this is what happens when you, you aren't forthcoming with the information. People start to freak out and then stop, you know, well, I'm not going to drink Corona beer because I'm a virus from it. Um, funny enough, you know, Corona beer and the lime, if you know the lore about the lime with the beer, is the... You know, the old, the, um, um, I don't want to call it a rumor, but the, you know, the sort of old, I'm going to say old wives tale, um, was that the bottlery was so dirty that you wipe the, when you open the bottle, you, you use lime and the citric acid in the lime to clean the, the lip of the bottle so you could drink the, you could drink the beer. Yeah. I had heard that before too. I'm, yeah. And so now... True. Wow, they went from bacterial to viral. Yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty nutty. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Well, I that's think that. Corona I think we... insanity is what the name of this episode is going to be. <laughs> it is. It's insane. Watch and I'll get, watch. I'm going to get coronavirus and croak now. Yeah, pretty 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 nutty. I don't. I don't. Uh, I just. Uh, I I really when I saw that, I really had a hard time with that. Hey, let's uh, let's end on a positive note, man. All right. Guess, what, guess what's coming up? The 2020 Russian River Wine Road. Yeah, and they're uh, the barrel tasting. Yeah, barrel tasting, yeah. and they're going to do it differently this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're um, they're trying to um, they're trying to tone it down because it's uh, it turned it <laughs> it's turned into like a, a drunk fest a little bit at some yeah. places. 
Well, I'll just so, say uh, they're I, limiting the yeah. number of people uh, in a party uh, to, I believe, just six to eight, right? Six or eight, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So you six can't like roll up in your limo bus with like 25 people and dump the bus at the winery. Those days are over. But uh, this is a great opportunity if you like to go and meet the people that make the wine. Winemakers are always there. Uh, they're milling around. You can talk to them. Uh, you're tasting the product. Yeah, you know, keep in mind you're tasting the product before it's actually bottled. You know, so uh, you're getting a firsthand uh, view of literally what the winemaker does every day. They go yeah. out and they taste the wines every day. That's, yeah. that's their job, and you're getting to do what they do, and then also talk to them about it. It's a pretty cool event. It's uh, over. Uh, it's, uh, it's two weekends. It's a three-day weekend, and I believe it's for two weekends in a row, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, uh, and that's like, coming up in March. It's March uh, 6th through the 8th and March 13th through the 15th. That's next weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's going to be good times. Um, I, I will say if you, um, so the Wine Road, as Al said, is a superb um, event. You, you sort of pay one price to get in and you can, you can go to all these different wineries. Now it's really, and there are a lot of them. I forget how many wineries in the county. Um, but, um, and, and you won't be able to go to all of them, but in terms of wine education, no, no. <clears throat> in terms of wine education, you can't beat it. You can pick <clears throat> off, you know, wineries you're interested in. And then Al says, not only can you meet the people who produce the wine, but you also taste the wine during at, you know, at, at this, at a early step in the production, in the production process of the wine. Right. I mean, Earlier in terms of sort of the, the uh, how the wine begins to age and sort of develops as a wine. So it's a really good way to start to learn about uh, the process. And, you know, being able to talk to different winemakers and production people about the wine is just, it, it gives you insight you're not going to get from just visiting on a normal day, is what I would say. And it's yeah. a bargain. For the amount of money that you pay, it's a super bargain. Yeah, it's a bargain, and they uh, they do extra stuff for this event. So uh, there's always um, some good things to nibble on. Um, it's just a it's a it's just a really well run event. Yep, yeah, and and you know the millennials found out about it and came up in bus loads and over and overwhelmed the wineries for a while. So they're they spent a couple of seasons kind of dialing it in. So they're going to try this differently, and they I, I would also say most wineries kind of turn this into. Um, I, I, you know, turn it into a party. And what I mean by that is there, as Al said, there's things going on at the winery. You'll find bands or some musicians there, maybe certain wineries, um, food, um, you know, nibbles at certain wineries. So it's just a good, and you know, if the weather holds like this, it'll be, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it'll be dynamite. Yeah. And yeah. the weather is, I think it's going to hold. I looked at the 10, uh, 10 day forecast. I think we're, I think we're in the clear, man. Yep. Yep, for sure. All, All right. right. Well, uh, you got anything else, Bill? I don't, other than to say thank you to everyone who listens to us. Um, uh, if you want to reach out, you can certainly hit him up on the Twitters. He's out. He's out with uh, him and his millions of friends. He doesn't personally know talking about wine. All <laughs> um, my friends. All your friends. You can always email us at info at vino one hundred one, um, and uh, you can drop us a note on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page, vino one hundred one. And um, please tell a friend if you like what you hear. Cheers. Yeah, everybody for listening. Cheers. Cheers.